amazing. Well, so I approached these three people that are going to be speaking to us this morning and uh, there was kind of a mixture of responses as to whether or not they should speak. They were from, yeah, okay, to, well, are you sure you mean me? <laughs> so what we're doing is we've just said 10 minutes just to uh, share with us what God's put on their heart and we've got a lot of grace for them this morning, haven't we? It's great to hear from different people, and I'm just excited to hear what God has put on their hearts. So I'm going to pray for you all now, and then we'll just invite you up one at a time. And we've said 10 minutes, so I've even got a timer on here to uh, keep them accountable. So we'll, uh, we'll start to tease the music up louder if they crack on to 15 minutes or so, because we all want to get to the park after this. But why don't we pray for them and just bless them now, and then we'll invite Steve up. So Father God, I just thank you for for Steve and for Harvey and Smitter and their willingness to maybe step out of their comfort zone and onto the platform to share with us what it is that you've put on their hearts. And God, we're just so thankful for their obedience in that, that actually you've placed something on their hearts that, are gonna, that is going to challenge us, that's going to inspire us and ultimately is going to draw us to you and make us become more like you because that is your heart. That is your desire, that we would become more and more like you. So I pray, God, that you would remove any nerves, that you would take away any, uh, any worries or concerns, and that actually you would just fill these people with confidence and boldness, knowing that you are with them, you are for them, and you have got a word for us right now, right in this place at this time. And so I thank you for them, and I thank you for what you're going to do through them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, Steve, come on down. Thank you. Morning. Morning. The time starts now. All right. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Um, one thing that became apparent is how much goes into trying to kind of bring a word that is accurate and you know is uh, you know grounded in in obviously the uh, the Bible. And I just take my hat off to John for bringing such a, a good word and Joanne. And all the other people that speak, you know, because the, the, you put a lot of time into it. And I don't think I've put quite as much time into this as I should have. But there we go. So uh, I've titled it Questions. Is the Earth flat or round? Have we been to the moon? Are big pharmaceutical companies driven by health or big profit? Is Hitler in heaven? So right now, John's probably thinking, what have I done and where is this going? <clears throat> but all valid questions. Does Jesus love you? Question everything. Some of these answers we may never know. Some I have an opinion on. But one thing I do know is Jesus loves me and you so much. He willingly died a horrific death, taking on our sins, being the ultimate sacrifice. We heard of his unfailing love only last week from Joanne and again this morning, you know, with the things that have been spoken out. And it's one of those things that we can't really hear enough of. I think, you know, there's people maybe, you know, in different uh, positions that just need to that uh, affirmation of the love that he's got for us. So Isaiah 49:16 in the Amplified Version. Um, it says... Behold, I have indelibly imprinted, tattooed a picture of you on the palm of each of my hands. So anybody who's got a tattoo will know they don't wash off. They're there for good. They're a permanent thing. 
and you know that's just to kind of uh, I suppose remind us it's not uh, just a one-off kind of uh, event in Romans 5 8 it says but God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Luke 12 7 says but the very hairs on your head are all numbered do not fear therefore you are of more value than many sparrows and in Psalm 139:14, David writes, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Now, the whole thing of, the, the, of what I felt led to speak upon was mainly around creation, but I felt like we needed just, you know, reminding of the whole uh, thing about how Christ loves us and what he did for us. In Genesis, we read of God's creation and of earth and man. And this is where God's love to us all started. He created us in his image. None of us are mistakes and none of us are accidents. Again, we've heard that this morning. You are here on purpose for a purpose. One of my things that I've come to find as an irritation is some of the syllabuses that they teach in schools... Uh, and from an early age, you know, right from primary school, children are being taught that billions of years ago there was a big bang and out of that bang came molten mass that slowly cooled and was rained on for millions of years. The rain washed the rocks and the minerals into the waters to create a soup. In that prebiotic soup formed a single cell creature that were, went on to evolve into everything on the planet. So in summary, what they teach and believe is we evolved from a rock. I believe, as I'm sure you do, God created us. Um, in the beginning, a rock, or in the beginning, God. You know, it's like when you put the two next to each other like that, you know, it's a, it does seem a bit ridiculous to think that, you know, uh, I mean, they've got a greater faith, I think, than, than uh, some of us, you know, if they believe we can come from a rock. But... Um, so Satan sowed doubt to Eve. Evolution sows doubt into children. And again, you know, this happens right from an early outset, right from primary school, probably, you know, nurseries, all the books start off millions of years ago. In teaching, evolution makes children think that we are just an evolved animal. So then why are we surprised in later life that they start acting like animals? What about the story of the princess kissing the frog and, her, and finding her prince? A fairy tale that we've all heard before. All they've done is added millions of years and that's the evolution theory. You know, so again, you know, fairy tale turned into a kind of a, you know, factual teaching as, as far as they're concerned. Evolution relies on something giving birth to something that is not of the same kind. There are no examples of this happening. Um, they are mutations, but none of them are beneficial. And if something's born that's not of its kind, it's got to find a similar mate that's not of its kind to then produce something that's not of its kind. So it, the, the whole thing is kind of uh, is shaky at best. Do you know why God made Adam first and not Eve? Anybody? He didn't want any help in his creation. 
just, just a little one for the women there, but you know, it's a... <laughs> Oh, there's another one as well. There's, uh, uh, I mean, it may be a bit harsh on women, that like, you know, and, and you, you may hear them say, "Well, where would you men be if if you didn't have women?" It's, well, in the Garden of Eden, actually. But you know, we won't dwell on that. But we'll, we'll move swiftly on. <laughs> but, uh, if you date back all the genealogies in the Bible, uh, I think we should have a slide. If uh, if you got that, Yvonne. Um, before Christ, it adds up to around 4,000 years. This makes the age of the earth around 6,000 years old, not millions, billions, or, you know, whatever the... Uh, I mean, the figure's forever changing, you know, it's like they come up with different theories and add a few more billion years, but, you know, so it's all uh, fictional, you know, whereas, you know, we have got the genealogy uh, right back to uh, Adam. So there are many ways to disprove evolution's way of thinking and prove creation. But one common misconception are dinosaurs. I just want to tell you that man walked with dinosaurs. They're not millions of years ago, and they, uh, uh, they, uh, they're still examples where they found unfossilized tissue of dinosaurs. So, you know, th there's just no way that this can kind of uh, um, go together and actually be fact. Many questions come from this, you know, um, there's all sorts of things relating to carbon dating, but that's been proven to be inaccurate uh, in as far as like, some of the tests that have been done. Somebody took a sample from a, a living turtle, and um, I can't remember the exact dates that they got, but, you know, it was something like uh, from one of the samples from the same living turtle, one was shown at 40 years uh, dead and the other, you know, like 120 years dead. Yeah, but this is from a living turtle. I mean, how inaccurate can something be from the same kind of creature? So, um, one thing is for sure is in the beginning, before Noah, something was different. Um, in the book of Josephus, which obviously isn't in the Bible, but you know, it's a, um, a book that you know I took a, a quote from. The, the Hebrews believed there was a 10-inch crystalline canopy around the earth. This would result in a greater air pressure. And high air pressure, as we all know, gives good weather. High, high air pressure will also kind of increase um, uh, the oxygen. And if you remember on Jurassic Park, when they had that kind of um, fossilized amber, um, they... Uh, they found some like that, and they extracted the one of the bubbles, and the oxygen in one of them bubbles was 32%. We currently only breathe like 21%. So, you know, something was different. And an increased air pressure in that crystalline dome could actually give you those circumstances. Um, it would appear I'm running out of time. But... Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so much more to kind of go on and, you know, there's uh, so many different avenues you can take and so much evidence out there that you literally could go on for hours. Um, but the flood of Noah um, obviously, you know, changed everything. There was water above the earth and below the earth. That's, that's in the Bible. And, you know, I believe um, that that crystalline canopy could be the water that he's referring to because obviously before Noah, it never rained. You know, there's no record of rain. So as the, um, uh, the earth kind of started to break up and water started to kind of uh, f 
fill out because water came down and came up again in the the book of Noah. It's uh, it, you know it's, it says that. Um, then uh, it would have kind of the pressure of the water under the earth would have been kind of sufficient to actually send um, projectiles of rock shooting out and to break up the crystalline canopy. Therefore, you know, it's like th then it starts raining down. So, the, I mean, that is a theory. And it's, uh, it's not uh, biblically based, but when you look into it and the science behind it, it actually does tally up and kind of reinforce um, the, the scriptures of what we're taking that from. So, I've, uh, like I say, I've had my time. There was more to, to do, but uh, we'll see if, uh, you know, maybe another time John may ask us back. So, thank you for listening. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Steve. I love that. In the beginning, rock or in the beginning, God. I know which side I fall on, but <laughs> we'll allow you to make your own opinions on that amazing thank you so much steve why don't we invite harvey up next to share what god's put on his heart hi <laughs> well today um and it's is i think is very difficult today in front of you because it's been an amazing morning isn't it i mean during the worship the things that were going on, speaking in tanks and the prophecies, they just threw me away. So the message, I think it was before this message. But um, I just wanted to speak today about the parable of the hidden treasure to you. And it's in Matthew 13, 44. And it says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure which is hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and he sold everything he had in order to buy this field. And the amplified version of this, he says that this treasure was very precious and very valuable. And he says that the man buys the field in order to secure this treasure to himself. I like this parable. And uh, why was Jesus speaking in parables? And... Uh, at the beginning of this passage, Matthew 13, the disciples come to Jesus and he said, they said to Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? And Jesus says that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are in these parables. They're given to you, but not to them. And we are disciples of Jesus in this church. So this knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom is given to us in these parables as well. And then Jesus says, it's to you but not to them. I wonder why Jesus says it's not to them. And uh, I just imagine myself that uh, these parables can be a little bit odd, a little bit weird. Is it just me? <laughs> you know, the parable of the master seed, where it says the kingdom of heaven is like a master seed that when a man or a woman plants it into the garden, even though it's the smallest of the seeds, it grows and becomes the largest of the garden plants. And then it changes to a tree, and the birds of the air will come and perch on its branches. Um, do you imagine telling this parable to somebody who's asking you about your faith? 
what do you believe? And you said, I believe in the kingdom. And then he says, what is that? And you said, well, let me show you. It's, uh, I carry some in my pockets. It's like uh, this tiny mustard seed. <laughs> and if you take it from me and you plant it into your garden, it's going to become huge. And then it's going to become like a tree. And the birds of the air will come and perch in there. Well, if you say that to one of your friends, or if I say that, they'll think you're a bit of a cuckoo. Isn't it? You're a bit, uh, you lost your marvels. But Jesus says that there is knowledge about the kingdom and the secrets of the kingdom in this parable. So today I wanted to look at the treasure. I wanted to um, speak about this parable, about the treasure. What does it mean to me? And I think traditionally this, um, this parable is explained to people as when one of you, you and me, when we find the kingdom of heaven, this is so precious and so valuable that we should be able to give up anything we have in order to belong, become children of the kingdom. And so we should kind of deny ourselves and follow Christ into this kingdom. Now, this, this doesn't... Um, I, don't, I don't believe it's not for me, this kind of interpretation. Because when it comes to the kingdom and when it comes to God, I think that I have nothing really to offer God. I, if, if I deny myself, it's not going to get me into the kingdom. If I deny everything I got, if I give all my money to the poor, it's, it's not going to get me anywhere. It's only by grace and grace alone, and by the love of Jesus, that we get into the kingdom. And I used to follow a Methodist minister around. His name was Terry Hudson. And he used to say to everybody, I'm just a beggar trying to show other beggars where to find some bread. He used to describe himself as a beggar, and he was a minister. So, you know. So what does this parable says to me? And I... I tried to find the meaning, and just before this parable, in Matthew 13, Jesus is telling all the parables, and it tells about the parable of the weeds in the field. And he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. But while everyone went to sleep, his enemy came, and he planted wheat, sorry, he planted weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. Now, when Jesus tells this parable to the crowds, the disciples are there, and they do not get the meaning. They remind me a lot about me, because so many times people are talking to me, and I don't know what they're saying, but I smile and nod. <laughs> yeah, especially when I first came to this country, <laughs> you know. And I can imagine these disciples and Jesus speaking to the crowds and they just like nodding and smiling like great rabbi. And then when Jesus stops, they look at each other and it's like, what was that all about? Was he speaking about master seeds again or wheat seeds? And they don't get this meaning. But then Jesus explained this parable to them really running out of time. Jesus explained this parable, and um, 
they, he makes it crystal clear. Because Jesus says, look, the man who sows the good seed is the son of man. And Jesus called himself the son of man. And then he says, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom of heaven. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the um, enemy is the devil. And it, it, it make, becomes crystal clear. And it's a great parable. And then immediately after this, Jesus tells the parable about the treasure hidden in the field. And I believe that the field is still the world. The man who finds is the son of man, Jesus himself. And this treasure is like the good seed is the children of the kingdom of heaven. It's just you and me and all those people who love Jesus. So what does this parable says to me? And it says something like, the kingdom of heaven is people like you and me who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who we were hidden in the world as ordinary people. Nothing amazing about us, nothing extraordinary about us, but when Jesus came into the world, he saw us and he found us and he fell in love with us and we became so precious to Jesus that we were his treasure and full of joy, he left us in the world but he went and he sold everything he had in order to buy this field which is the world to secure us to him. So now we belong to Jesus. We are children of the kingdom of heaven because we love Jesus and Jesus loves us so much. So it's a response to this love. So I wanted to leave you with three things to encourage you. Number one is that in this parable, Jesus finds the treasure and I believe God is always seeking and finding. He's the one who seeks and finds people. And we, we um, Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice, I will come in. And we say things like, I found Jesus when I went to prison. Or I found Jesus in an alpha course. But the truth is that Jesus was always there. He knew us. He was there loving us. He was knocking, he was knocking at our hearts. And what we do is just, we open the door and we let Jesus in. We respond to this amazing love that Jesus has for us. Second thing I want to leave you with, to uplift you today, is that to Jesus we are precious treasure. You know, to some people in this world, we are not much, we don't amount to much. The Bible says that some people might even criticize or laugh at us or persecute us, but to Jesus, we are his treasure. Some people, as a treasure, they collect fame or money or all this stuff, but Jesus collects people and he wants to save us all and he wants us to help him to become fishers of men and to save as many people as possible. And that's that's great news because nobody less, is left behind. And the last thing I want to encourage you is that the man in the parable has enough. 
it would have been very sad if this parable goes and says that the man is full of joy and he goes away and he sells everything he has, but it's not enough. He cannot buy the field. But Jesus has enough, and I believe it's at least for three reasons. Number one is in, in John 3, it could be in the screen, John 3, 16, where it says that it was the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus gives his Son, sorry, God gives his Son, so whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have everlasting life. That qualifies Jesus to buy this field. Second reason, I think, is because Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And there is another verse, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it says that God made him who had no sin to be seen for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And number third reason um, he buys the field, I believe, is because he made, even though Jesus was rich, he made himself poor for our sakes. The man in the parable goes and sells everything he has in order to buy this field. And it's a Second Corinthians 8, 9, where he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And I want to leave you with that. I just want to finish the saying how much God loves you. If you look at everything we've been saying, he gave everything he had to buy this field. I never in my life given everything I have to buy anything, even my house. I don't know anybody who's ever given everything he has to buy anything. But Jesus did it. That's how much he loves us. And in the last, last Sunday, Joanne had a great message. Tell them I love them. And at the end of the message, I went to see Phil having a coffee. He's in the Isle of Man on the beach on holidays. And he asked me something. I'm not going to say what. And I said, well, I need to trust that Jesus loves me for that. And he said to me, Harvey, you know, as far as the east is from the west, and nobody knows how far, that's Phil's words, nobody knows how far, this could be infinity, and as far as the north is from the south, and nobody knows, it could again be infinity, that's how much God, that's how much Jesus loves us. So this is what I want to leave you with, that Jesus' love for us is, blows my mind. It's almost like this peace that passes understanding. It's this love, it passes understanding. So I hope that encourages you. Don't forget your Amazing. Thank you so much. That was fantastic, wasn't it? And last but not least, Smitter. Why don't we welcome Smitter? John has introduced me. My name is Smita. Some of you might not know me that well. And as my color shows, I'm from India. And 
I am not from a Christian background. I am the only person who is saved in the family until now. But I am believing God is reaching out to all my family members. So, yeah, so that's my introduction. And thank you, John, for giving me this opportunity to share my thoughts. I have not titled anything. I forgot to do that. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to talk about one scripture from Galatians 5:13 to 15, which says, I'm reading it out from Life Recovery Bible, so it might not match with the words which is on the screen. Apologies for that. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Be aware of destroying one another. So two things caught my eyes. One is freedom, and which Jesus has given us. And the second thing was the commandment from God to love our neighbor. So I'm going to speak a little bit about freedom and slowly move on to the God's commandment. So freedom means the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants. Freedom is very precious to everybody, I believe. I b believe people in West enjoy freedom more than people in the West or, I mean, other cultures. That's what I believe, because I have come from a background where not everybody is given the same opportunities. They are given preference based on color, caste, money, gender, lot of things which they are given preference over other things. So when I came to the country, I was blown away by the freedom you people have. And you respect that, definitely. But I was really blown away by that. When we are come from a different background or a religion, I know to get or receive favor from God, how much effort they put. They wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to just finish the traditions so that they can get favor from God. And I'm talking about Hindu religion, of course, but if you talk about Muslims or any other religion, they pray five times a day. But God just set us free. He doesn't set a rule that you have to get up early in the morning and pray or worship me. He just set us free, and that freedom has not but it was not cheap. God has to come down from his throne, from it, where he can be happily seated and judge everybody. But he came down from his throne to pour out his love and every blood in his body hard for all of us. So it is not cheap. So let's not take it granted that freedom is given to us and we can use it in any way because it's so precious. We should honor that and respect that. Let's not use the freedom which is given to us for our leisure, but put God first in everything we do and then 
I know everything will fall into place. All he wanted is a good relationship with him. I find really interesting journey with Jesus. Some people say, oh, God is boring. But I find it's very challenging and it's very interesting because every day he will tell us something to do which is not going to be easy. I'm sure you all do too. The journey with Jesus, it enjoys, you enjoy that too. Let's take, I have already said that, that let's take our freedom seriously and not spend our time in leisure, but Spend time with God and bless others around us. God wants to display his love, which is unconditional love, or the love which is agape love, to people around us. And he can do it only through us. I know that it's easier to love people who display love or share love with us, but it's very, very difficult to love people whom we don't like or they don't have similar thoughts, it's very difficult to love those people. When I say all these things, do not think that I know it all or mastered it all. I am still in a journey with Jesus who is teaching me to display his love, to love people around me. So I remember maybe four to five years ago, I was sitting in the front seats with Joanne and um, she turned to me and she said, how are you, Smita? And I said, will you please pray for my husband? Then she said, just love him. I remember staring at her as she said that and nodding my head. And I, in my head, I'm thinking, how do I love my husband who doesn't respect my faith? I don't know. I don't feel it. Of course, God has said that before to me, to love him. But I didn't know how. I went back that day to home and I said, she confirmed what you were speaking. Joan just did. And I don't know, Lord, how to do it. Will you help me? He did. He, every day he would give me something challenging to do at home. When my husband is not happy, he will just say, go to the other room and pray. It's okay. So think simple things like that. He is taking me in a journey so that I can share his love. God also didn't stop there. When I, when he, when I said, God, help me to, you know, help me with this journey, God put another lady called Nandini um, in my path. To she, she went through similar experiences. And eventually, after 25 years, her husband is starting to trust God. Then she said one thing, was it God who take tw took 25 years to reach out to my husband? Or was it I who took 25 years to display his love? That really shook me. And I thought, Lord, I have to turn this around. And I need to do something here with you because I cannot love people with the love you love, the way you love, only you could help me. So the question is, how do we display God's love? Step one, to understand and realize as since the morning, everybody is saying how much God loves us. And when we understand, really, really understand how much God loves us, I'm sure all the insecurities, all the fear, and every problem we have will become small and disappear. 
it will become so small that we will be able to lift our eyes beyond the problem and focus in God. Step two, out of abundance of God's love, we will start pouring out in other people's lives. We will t- it will take time. It's not going to happen instantly, but I'm sure it will happen. And also we should really, as a church, we should pray for each other. It's not only pastor's job or leader's job to pray for each other. As a congregation, we should really spend time to love each other because out of that love, when we know we love each other in the church, we can go out to the world and love them the way God expects. But if we cannot love each other in the church, how we are going to do that in the world? God, God says in John 9, 5, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So basically he's saying, because we follow Jesus, and as Michelle said this morning, I want to wear Jesus. I know if we wear Jesus, we become light. And eyes are drawn to light. Human eyes are always, always drawn to light. Whether Because we live in a dark world, how can our eyes will not be turned to the light? So if people are looking at us and we don't display sacrificial love, it's not going to work. It's going to, it, it takes, it's a battle. People are in the darkness and we want to bring them to light without sacrificial love, without our time, without our effort. It's a battle. We cannot bring them on board. Only then we'll be able to bring them from the darkness to the light. I know it's going to be a strong battle, but God is with us and we will be winners. We know that. We know the end result is good. So let us not give up hope in between in doing good, but carry on doing as God expects us to do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Amazing. So good. That's incredible. Do you know, it's, it's actually harder to preach for a short amount of time than it is to preach for a long amount of time because then it allows for a... <laughs> Last for waffle like I love. So well done, you guys. Absolutely amazing. Let's give them all another round of applause.